0: You're listening to That'll Preach. This is Brian, and uh, we've got another interview lined up. And uh, our guest today is a a guy who I think has a lot of great perspectives and uh, brings a dose of sanity to some of the uh, craziness in our world today. And uh, he is the Reverend Ben Miller. He pastors the Trinity Church in Long Island, New York. Uh, He's an OPC pastor, uh, planted the church in 2011, and has been there ever since. Uh, Reverend Ben, thank you for being on That'll Preach. Glad to be here, Brian. Thank you. So I, I first heard about you through Alistair Roberts, and uh, <laughs> you guys did a series of conversations called Conversations in Crisis, which immediately I was like, that's some good marketing. I'm, I'm interested <laughs> in, in, this, uh, in this endeavor you're doing. And I believe you recorded 10 episodes, something like yeah. that. It was quite the uh, exchange and... Uh, You were going to put links to that series in the show notes because I think it's a really, really helpful discourse between two guys. And um, I'm just curious from your end, what got you started uh, on that project with Alistair? Who who thought of the idea? What were some of the circumstances that led you to say this would be a good thing
1: for us to talk about? Well, Alistair and I have been part of a circle of friends for quite a number of years who have been talking about, I guess – you could just call it political theology, you know, the intersection of scripture and the theological tradition with public life. And, uh, so when COVID happened, and of course, there was quite a lot going on politically between 2020, let's say, and 2022, um, this group of friends, there was lots to talk about (laughs) and it was intense, you know, and I was pastoring and Alistair was kind of more in the scholarly world and, Um, so at one point, um, I think I had just maybe asked him if we could talk about some things, have a conversation and really as much as I was interested in the content of what we were going to talk about, I was really wanting to see if we could model what a conversation should look like, especially between Christians, because one of the things that was really concerning to me and in my circle and in other circles I was watching was just how so much discourse, especially among Christians had just become so acrimonious. And so I don't remember exactly whether it was Alistair or I who first proposed it, but we started in and then realized there was just more to talk about than we even thought. And I think we ran on for like 15 hours or something. So, but it was, for me, it was a very edifying time.
0: Now, what was it? uh Yeah, I, I know you, you had mentioned that Alistair was somebody that you had disagreed with. Was that over what were some disagreements that you guys had or what, what made him the kind of person that you wanted to speak with?
1: Well, I just enormously respect and trust Alistair as a friend. Um, and it so happened that during the the pandemic, uh, he and I did, in, in the discussions that this f- group of friends was having, we did come down differently on some of the COVID policies. Um, we had different views of different things that were going on. And it was never, it was always very friendly disagreement. And I learned enormously from him. Um, and so I thought it might actually be good to have a conversation with someone that, where we, where we weren't just, you know, an echo chamber. It, 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 there was, there was real, I wouldn't even call it, I guess I would call it substantive disagreement, but there was never anything other than just wanting to sharpen one another. It was, you know, the whole, the whole disagreement came from a place of tremendous trust and, and wanting to learn from each other. And, and so I thought that might be a good thing to model. Uh, it is, it is disagreements are going to happen. How we go forward from there really doesn't matter. Um, So it was a chance to just kind of work that out in our friendship in a way that maybe others could listen in.
0: What about in a broader context? What was it like? uh, Were there things happening in your church? Did you feel, or you don't have to go into direct specifics, Mm -hmm. but um, what are some broader things that you saw? You talked about, you felt like discourse itself between people. Was that something you saw? You know, what, what was your experience with that as a pastor? Hmm.
1: Well, I was not prepared, uh, probably should have been, but I wasn't really prepared for how much the pandemic would bring to the surface deep political dis- disagreements, um, quite quite pronounced disagreements even on what a society should be, how government should work. And I was surprised at how for many Christians um, that I know personally in, in my local context as well as broader circles that I'm part of, I was just amazed at how often those disagreements would begin to be tied to something that felt almost like eschatological fervor, if, if that term communicates, like just a, a sense that um you know, good versus evil is kind of being played out in, in these in these lines of conflict. And, you know, if you're not on the right side, that it wasn't just, well, you know, this is a really tough issue and we disagree on principle with each other and, and maybe even feel quite intensely about that disagreement. It was more like y- you are siding with kind of the dark forces. <laughs> um And I just saw Christians at each other's throat sometimes or just reading reading these public events uh, through very particular interpretive lenses uh, that really put them at odds with each other, and, and sometimes in an incredibly acrimonious way where they couldn't even continue in Christian fellowship together. And so watching those sorts of things, and in some cases being a part of conversations like that, it just really sobered me. And all of that was lying in the background of... Um, you know the conversations with Alistair, but but that's been something I've been working through, and, and my elders and I have been working through in the ministry here for the last number of years. Well, I'm sure your experiences felt across
0: <laughs> our nation so. and in many in many people. I think um, so. I, I did really appreciate even just larger getting beyond the pandemic. Mm-hmm. A lot of other ways in which, just in general, principles of how we speak to one another yeah i realize that there's not a lot of discourse about our discourse which i think is what was hmm. particularly illuminating about your series of conversations it's almost stepping back and going how are we doing this and yeah. i think there can be times when we've got to get beyond just be nicer to each other yep. you know <laughs> because yep. that's not very substantive um now one of the things that you talked about and i know alistair talks about this a lot is uh, there were two words that I've heard, not just in your conversations, but in a lot of conversations about conversations, and that's anxiety and reactivity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so it's sort of like anxiety is this invisible gas that's filling the air and then reactivity yep. is just it just takes one match and to light the whole thing on fire.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, hmm. what was telling about your conversation was I felt like there was very little anxiety yeah. and not a lot of reactivity. What were some elements that helped you have that kind of a conversation with somebody that you had substantive disagreements
1: with? That's a great question. Um, well, maybe before I speak to how that was possible with Alistair, maybe maybe we could just step back and, and you've already sure. kind of put your put your finger on anxiety as as a yeah as a dynamic. And so I haven't read Mark Sayer's uh, book non-anxious presence. I really, really need to. But there, there's another book I'm sure you're familiar with that I did read years ago by um, an author named Edwin Friedman. Yeah, a Failure yeah. of Nerve. Yes. Yeah, it's a Where great fan- book. Oh, yeah. ah, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he identifies in there from a psychologist standpoint, this, this idea of cycles of reaction and how people in disagreements over things that matter to them, right? So that these are not just like kind of theoretical disputes. Th- these sure. are th- these are disagreements over things where there's em- emotion is understandably involved, but people kind of become emotionally fused th- through the course of that, where I am increasingly emotionally profoundly affected by your disagreement with me, and I react to that, and then you react to my reaction, and, and pretty soon we're in this cycle where often kind of the underlying substantive questions are kind of lost in the fog of war. Um, which I saw happen a lot, you know, in the pandemic, for example. And so, the question I think, though, is how? What are some resources that Christ has given to us, you know, as Christians? But maybe even beyond uh, the Christian context, just in general, as as human traditions, like wisdom traditions, have reflected on the, these sorts of things in the past. What, what sorts of resources do we have to to not get sucked into that kind of emotional? fusion and reaction. Um, so, I mean, and I, I, as I was thinking about our conversations, it's almost hard to know kind of where to begin because there's just a lot we could talk about, but like one of the things that I found myself trying to remember through the last, let's say, five years of ministry is like, what's, what's my lane? What, what and by la- my lane, I mean like, what, what has God put in front of me to do? Um, cause there's a lot of stuff I could get very concerned about. And try to fix, <laughs> but maybe that's not in my lane. Maybe that's not something that's directly God has directly given me to do. So what 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 is my calling? For example, as a pastor, and I realize that one of the things that I am called to do, and I think Christians in general are called to this, is to remember that there's a difference between the un- the, the 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 unchangeable things. Right. That, that no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what crisis we're facing, there are always certain unchangeable things. Like as a Christian, you have to believe that but i think even as a non-christian there can be an awareness of that that there are just certain unchangeables that have not been affected by this crisis they are not on the table because this difficult thing is happening and then in the crisis itself or the or the you know the storm that we're in there are also a lot of debatables things over which there really could be disagreement and my work as a pastor among other things is to kind of help people stay Firmly tethered to the unchangeables—the things that don't shake in the storm—and then, as people hold on to those unchangeables, and there's a quieting effect that comes in that. I mean, it really is something too that, that the idea of be still and know that I'm God. There's a stillness that comes. Um, then to be able to approach the debatables as debatables, and maybe not elevate them to causes of war, unless. It's really, really necessary to remember the importance and the value of, of you know, relationships, let's say, as we're as we're in a disagreement. So, you know, like Alistair, for example, one of the things that helped so much in our disagreement was just years and years of friendship. I love this man. I trust him. I deeply respect him. That was not up for grabs in our disagreement. I was able to hear things he would say that I at points f- fiercely disagreed with. But I but I knew the man and, and, and I valued the relationship. And so I was able to keep listening until I understood what he was saying and could even see it from his perspective. Right. So so that's kind of the, the the alternative to the cycle of reaction is a cycle of understanding. You know, the more I listen to you, the more I'm beginning to understand how you think. And then the more I kind of respond to that, the more maybe you can understand how I think. And we're actually reaching maybe not a chord but at least a place where the disagreement is honorable and instructive. We actually are sharpening one another. Now, it just stopped me anytime because i these are things on which one could ramble, but what I think has made some that somewhat difficult in recent years, and this is something I've heard so much in Christian rhetoric that I do think we have to put our finger on this and figure out what to do with it. There is... There is a there is a, a mental model that many people have of public disagreements now that goes something like this. These issues are so fundamental and so crucial, and so much is at stake, we don't have we don't have the luxury of all these nice, you know, let's be gracious and kind and try to make sure we're having a pleasant conversation. I mean, if the if if the hordes are about to tear down the gates of civilization. Kind of diplomacy be damned, right? We need to man the ramparts. This is war, and in war, you know, when you're if somebody jumps you in a dark alley and you are fighting for your life, you don't worry about you know was that a low blow. You just try to defend yourself because you're going to get killed if you don't. And I think, I think that that is one of the uh, ways of looking at many of these issues that that has just profoundly complicated what you're what you're addressing uh, regarding. The, nature of our, the, the emotional temperature of our discourse and, and, and this cycle of reaction, because that, that, feeds, that feeds anxiety, that mental model. Something I've
0: noticed in this dynamic that you're articulating, which I think that's actually a very good way of, of, of putting it. Um, it's almost like this survival instinct yes, kicks in. Precisely. I, I think about, uh, you know, you watch football games and, you know, the guy who gets the flag is a guy who pushes back. Mm -hmm. and they're enraged that they're called out for pushing back because nobody saw that they got pushed. They don't see the the first guy who pushed. I I, I think I've seen with with more conservative Mm -hmm. leading people, which I would consider myself one of those, you feel like you've been pushed around. You were pushed first Mm -hmm. by a Mm -hmm. lot of progressivism, by a lot of these kind of very vitriolic forces pushing Mm -hmm. against you. And I think a lot of people – And I understand why just got sick of it. And so you finally Mm -hmm. just go, we're pushing back. And then you get Mm -hmm. flagged because that's what gets on national television. (laughs) And that enrages you. Yeah. And that feels unfair. And then you don't trust the refs. And then the whole thing, you know, kind of spirals out from there. And uh, you hear, you know, slow to speak, slow to anger. But how do you do that without getting... You know the common phrase, you know, gaslit. You know, without getting, yep. without becoming somebody who is constantly seeding ground with interlocutors that might be very hostile to you. That even yep. that idea, even when you mentioned being still before the Lord, and which I think that's true, and we need that. I can see people saying, "See, that's just a nope. failure. That's just a desire or, or or a fear of man, or not wanting to engage in the public sphere on issues affecting." society
1: yeah it's quietism yeah quite exactly yeah so what what do yeah. you do with that kind of critique well i think one of the one of the things that we probably are going to have to talk about to to speak about that um well is the uh the contexts of our discourse now yeah um because to be honest now admittedly i'm a pastor which means i spend a lot of my a lot of my time interacting with christians and and many many if not a vast majority of my relationships are with Christians. um. So this might be easy for me to say, but m- like in, in my actual local relationships, I don't have many, I, I can't think of any relationships locally, interpersonally where I'm seeing people in the flesh where I just feel like the only thing to do about this relationship is burn it down.
0: <laughs> this yeah. is war. I, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You
1: know, I, I don't have people living next to me who are like that. I, I don't, I, I have, you know, I I know that there are people, I have friends, for example, who are in the academy where they, they do face like really raw hostility to Christian values and things. But but I do think that one of the things that feeds that sense of, you know, things are so urgent, we just need to be in complete war footing is the online mm. thing. And, you know, I, I know it's just about cliched at this point. But we have to keep talking about how conversation contexts that have stripped away so much of the humanity of conversations and left us with, basically, you're firing off salvos at a Twitter account, the content of which enrages you. That's not exactly the best context for kind of getting a sense of your own emotional temperature and working on your own conversational virtues because, you know, the the whole thing just lends itself so naturally to warlikeness. I I, I have heard people, and I know this gets said again and again, but it's true. Like, I've heard people who, in person, I find you, you can have a conversation with them. This is a living, breathing human being, and they have thoughts, and I might disagree with them, but my word, the persona that suddenly shows up In certain online contexts is just it's almost like an avatar of just what what honestly sometimes comes close to just spitefulness and 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 you can feel the anxiety of just we have to fight back and i just wonder if sometimes now you know here's the problem though i can i can say these things but we are going to have to continue to live online to some degree right like we can't Mm -hmm. just pretend like all that out there doesn't exist right but when you have when you have a a few people who have kind of all the cultural microphones you know there's kind of a a lot of almost all the microphones are in pretty few hands if you if you find the things that are coming through those microphones hateful and online feels like one place to kind of empower you and your, the people who agree with you to kind of fight back very vocally and publicly against that. <sighs> Setting aside whether this actually works emotionally is quite tempting because it gives you a chance to do what kind of like protesters do, which is get your position heard. Right, We're going to shout truth to power. Um, I just don't know that. I don't know that, that those frameworks of conversation are ones in which... Um, that I don't think they're particularly well-suited to producing a greater love of truth, a greater knowledge of truth, or the kinds of virtues that enable relational life in which truth can be communicated. Um, so, and I, and I can, you know, the hard part now, and I'm sure you can... Imagine, I can already hear the voices coming back and saying, well, you know, that's just, that's an ivory tower perspective. You know, on the street, we are losing the war. Civilization is burning down. The only thing that matters is what has immediate effectiveness in just kind of pushing back as much as we can against the the incoming fire. I I do think that mental model is is actually wrong.
0: Well, I think something that's happened is, people gravitate toward, you were talking about certain people have the cultural microphone and then they move to a new place or they go looking for a new church and they look for somebody, they look for a pastor who is that, who imitates Mm -hmm. whoever cultural uh, Christian celebrity, whatever uh, is like, Um, or they become dissatisfied with their own because they're not taking on that mental model. And uh, I think that that can be incredibly divisive and, 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 and this is something that I've, I've I've also considered, too, where does everyone need to be a soldier in the same trench? You know, right. a war is fought on many fronts and uh, there's medics, there's people in the front lines, there's you know, there's all these kinds of things. And so I, I think now it's, it's not even like, what did you think about COVID or whatever social issue? It's also like, if I feel a level eight about this and you feel a level six, you're mm-hmm. compromising. You know, what are those two <laughs> right. degrees of cowardice? There and so it's becoming very <sighs> but, finely where you can find people that you agree on so much, but this one thing—it's a matter of degree of urgency. Even you can both agree yeah. that it's urgent, but there's a degree of urgency, a gap, and then there seems to be a lack of of trust. Yeah, just because oh, yeah. of that.
1: But that's that's I guess why I I I've spent quite a lot of time reflecting on just how do we diffuse these absolutized good and evil narratives. And, and begin to contextualize what's actually happening in our more local contexts and also situating ourselves in history. You, you know, I, we, we just sometimes, you know, there, there's that interesting line in Ecclesiastes, speaking of things that don't change. A generation goes, a generation comes, the earth remains forever. I think one of the things that just happens in our modern time because the, the, the cultural noise is just so loud We just really think like, this is it. This is the moment. This is the, this is the thing. Now, 10 minutes later, we're talking about something else, (laughs) but still in that 10 minutes, it just feels like this is, it all comes down to this. This is kind of like the last stand that, that, that sense of urgency. And it just doesn't hold up historically. Um, you know, much of what we're experiencing are things that have totally been seen before. And, um, so again, just trying to ratchet down. Yeah, there are things we need to respond to urgently. But the, to your point, like if you have to, if on a scale of one to 10, you have to be a, dialed up to a 12 or you just don't even understand what's going on, something emotionally about that just seems very intemperate and honestly foolish. Like at, what, what decisions in our life ever are, are best made when that's your emotional temperature, right? There's that level of just caution to the wind. Here we go.
0: I think too, the historical s- situatedness. I mean, I, we we lose sight of that, um, and, and this is something you actually meant. You you mentioned before, I know, in your conversation with Alistair about the technocracy, which I, <laughs> you know, yep. it, it just. I assume you're talking just about how like, uh, we are immersed in this world of technology, of social media, and all these things, and it is shaping the way that we think, interact in the world in, incredibly. Potent ways
1: yeah. is, that, is that sort of the, the idea there? It is, but but it's it's what what complicates that I think is that there's also a sense that power used to have to operate in 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 um power power now uh, that term needs to be defined but power now can operate technologically which means it can operate mm. at scale yeah <laughs> and and in a in a way that moves the masses that that's an ad- if you think in terms of the regime or the powers and they now have all of this technological savvy i think that that is more intimidating than maybe experiences of let's say oppression or concerns about power in the past so yes it is influ- influencing us it's shaping our world but it's also a sense that this is now a world in which forces are operating that just have so much more clout than they used to, if that makes sense.
0: It's almost creating a world. Correct. That, that, that uh, has a reach and a scale, like you're saying that we've never had before. And I, I I also think about, you know, the reformation or all these big moments in church history where people are still writing letters. It takes a while for it to get Mm -hmm. to you. You have to read it. You can't just immediately respond. You got to sit there and think through it. You got to pant or whatever. And, uh, th- that naturally, organically, we were forced to take a step back. We couldn't simply just immediately right. respond. So it's like with social media, we're not just disembodied from an actual face-to-face conversation, but we can immediately respond yep. to this avatar yep. when we're ratcheted up to a twelve. Yep. And uh, so, I, and I feel that temptation. I mean, you know, I don't have Twitter for that reason. You know, it, it, yep, because a, there is an <laughs> emotional kind of response there. I'm the same. How do you? What are some personal ways in which you? Uh, stave off reactivity in your own heart. You know, I, I could imagine too. You, how do you not get worked up so that Sunday morning you're not going guns blazing at whatever just bothered you, you know, in your sermon or yeah. in counseling situations? How do you find ways to lower your reactivity? Get you down
1: from yeah. a twelve down to a five. You know, right? Because you know, so much of so much of uh, a non anxious presence and non-anxious leadership is more show than tell, right? Hmm. To your to your point. Like yeah. I have to I have to model this. If I'm not at at peace, yeah, it, I, I, I'm gonna have a hard time calling others to that. Well, there's there's a line from Oliver O'Donovan, I think it's in um The Ways of Judgment, where he says something that I'll use as a springboard to answer that question. He says, judging when political questions merit prophetic commentary requires a cool head and a theological sense of priorities. The worship that the principalities and powers seek to extract from mankind is a kind of feverish excitement. The first business of the church is to refuse them that worship. There are many times when the most pointed political criticism imaginable is to talk about something else. Wow, that's a great quote. I have thought about that so many times. That feverish excitement is part of worshiping the principalities and powers. Hmm. So, one, again, you can call this denialism or quietism or whatever, I suppose, but I do think this must have been how our Lord, in the days of his flesh, sustained himself as he was walking around through a morass of powers that opposed him, like I've never, I will never experience. <laughs> Um, you know, he, he kept for one thing focused on his father and the mission that he had from the father. I have never in my, this might sound strange, but I've never in my life seen how important just straight up theology is. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, goodness, and truth. That is the rock, and if, you, if, the, if your response to a crisis is getting you away from that and you don't think that's relevant because of the crisis, this is a spiritual problem. And I have to be looking in the mirror about that as a pastor. If every sermon, my agenda, quote unquote, in the sermon, I mean, that's probably the wrong word to use for a sermon. My response, my sermons need to be responding to the word first. What is God speaking? What are his priorities? I have to be really submissive that now that doesn't look it doesn't mean you know some some tragedy has happened in the culture and my sermon never mentions it because you know I'm right. just i'm not talking head in the sand but you're not ready to say things about the cultural issues if you haven't really heard really heard that god is god hmm. um something else that's helped me is is to remember that creation the earth is the lord's and that is not just as a matter of his providence over all things in history. That is also, that is his place as the creator. And and there's something about being in creation. You know, to your point about speed, nothing in all of creation moves at digital speed. There is something about simply walking by an ocean or I have found being in in the plant world. I mean, this probably sounds really strange, but there are moments when just walking around in my yard looking at the trees and the grass and just reflecting on the handiwork of the Lord. It reminds me, this is all going to be here long after I'm gone. And it was here centuries before I got here. The earth is the Lord's and it just kind of slows your heart down and humankind. They are the Lord's sin. Evil has not eradicated the image of God. God, you know, one of the things that came to me some years ago as I was reflecting on some things was just that creation is theonomous, which is to say creation is already full of the norms of God. Human beings are full of the norms of God. I need to remember as I'm looking at and talking to, you know, these people over there who just seem like they have lost their minds and they're at war with reality and they're at war with God. And I'm trying to figure out how to, how to frame a response to them. It's important to remember they are the Lord's. Somewhere in the confusion that we all have because of sin is that, that kind of core of God's creation in, in human beings where even, like, one of the things that struck me recently, I forget who, who I was reading who said this, even the anger today at injustice, so people are so angry about injustice on the right and the left, where does that come from? The image of God. The, 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 there, is, there is a kind of common ground there to speak and say, I understand your anger at injustice. What kind of world must must we be living in for that even to make sense? And just trying to, like, again, ratchet myself down to remember that evil's not winning. It's prevalent. It's noisy. But this is God's world. These are God's creatures, right? And, and my, my question is how to be responsive to God. God's presence and purposes here instead of just reacting to the thing that I fear and and that I think is the thing I fear where this is going that's anxiety right and that's where anyway I'm I'm kind of rambling on but it, these are just the sorts of things that I find myself thinking about so God creation history kind of contextualizing ourselves in history um the the and, and obviously just the kingdom of God the fact that Jesus, has been given all authority in heaven and earth. He is on the throne, and 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 that's not just a cliche we sing in songs. You know, to kind of make ourselves right. feel zippy. That's that's the that's the universe we're living in, and those things can just they can slow me down, which is what I need.
0: How has this uh, shifted the way that you view
1: formation for your own people? That's a great question. Well, uh, just some things that immediately jump to mind. Um. Preach the kingdom of God. Hmm. Don't just preach hell insurance. <laughs> right. The gospel is not just hell insurance. It's the kingdom of God. Preach that from every page of scripture. People need the comfort, the hope, the, the prompting, the perspective of the kingdom of God. Like just preach that. Open the scriptures. Um, Because that, nothing changes the fact that that's reality. So preach that. But that's. You can't talk at people and and, and and have that be all you're doing for formation. The one thing that I have really tried to work on as a pastor is to to have a kind of friendship model of ministry. This can become very exhausting because it's very labor intensive, but really try to, to 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 walk with your people in a way where they know that you are relationally with them. Hmm. You, you know, like people, I find that so much of what I do as a pastor is just being a friend. In, in kind of the classical sense of friendship, just walking alongside people. And, and and this brings me to something else, which is be together as the people of God. I mean, this was what was so hard about the pandemic. People being physically isolated from each other was horrible for people. And we need to do everything we can now with most of the restrictions lifted, be together. Hmm. Church life needs to, it needs to uh, and, and, and be together enjoying creation, like really break bread together uh, have outdoor barbecues together, uh, you know, have sing, get together and sing. Just don't, don't, it's almost as if the church has to recover the human things in so many ways, get people offline yeah. <laughs> and in each other's living rooms, right? Like, but you have to do something. You can't just talk at people's addictions to social media. What are we doing alternatively? Like young people resonate with this. I, so my children – I have four children ranging from 19 to 12. And one of the things that's kind of been a, a grace for us through the years of trying to navigate social media with them has been that they actually prefer life offline. Hmm. You know, they're they're drawn into the social media thing, but they, they know what it's like to play a soccer game in a field with a bunch of other kids, hmm. to sit around at a picnic listening to the adults and, you know – open up the swimming pool and just be together. Like we have two feasts every summer as a church, huge outdoor events. These are some of our most important times. We have a congregational meal every month. You know, our, our fellowship times are in homes. Th- these are, they, they, they remind us the world is not all Twitter talking heads, <laughs> we, we, but you, you got to kind of, again, show, not just tell. Um, we had a, uh, fall festival
0: and uh awesome. we had kind of a trunk or treat thing and, and we had uh and it was interesting seeing people in our church uh show up in costumes you know funny yes. costumes they're Winnie the Pooh or they're you know right. some kind of character and I'm just like man and it's like these are grown men who are yep. like and I'm like and you see another side of them and you're like they have a exactly. sense of humor and you might disagree on some things. You might have some serious disagreements on things. But there was something about that. It's humanizing. We're giving candy to, to people in the neighborhood, and we're meeting you know hundreds of people around our community, and you just felt this kind of camaraderie, yeah. And uh, and also just a lightheartedness, you yeah. know. And I think that that is, you know, if you're if you're tense all the time, yeah You know, that's just it's it's horrible for your health. It's horrible for everything in your life, you know. And it doesn't it doesn't actually help anything and so uh, that humanizing element I, lo- I love what you said the, the friendship kind of model hmm. I, I really I wonder if so much of this stuff would just be it's like underneath all of the noise is yeah man you just need a friend like, yeah are you just there's something that's off here and you just need somebody that yep. you can talk to and 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 do non verbal things with you know you can do things yep. outside together and, and eat together and all these types of things well and to your point
1: about Playfulness. that That's something Friedman in, in The Failure of Nerve right. brings up. Yeah, Man, that yeah. hit me so hard. Yeah. That the number one thing you notice in, a, in an anxious system is a loss of playfulness.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He who sits in the heavens laughs. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not talking about frivolity, but just that sense, this is not that important. Right. No. Right. That's a good word.
0: Um, I think about... Uh, we're, I'm, I was leading a men's Bible study in first Corinthians and we looked at the the last chapter and we were just kind of talking about how Paul's letters, he said some hard things and he said some forceful things and mm-hmm. he's uncompromising in a lot of ways, but he begins and ends his letters with these personal greetings. I mean, he knows these yes. people and he yes. talks about uh, Stephanus and his household. They, him and his buddies, they came up and they refreshed mm-hmm. Paul and there's the meaning mm-hmm. of friendship for Paul and how yeah. that was probably one of the sustaining things in his life. And totally. uh and I'm like, man, I we're we're I wonder if a lot of the anxiety and the reactivity is because we're running on fumes. We don't have I this kind of relational
1: need that's met. I think that's exactly right. And and you know, the reality is that friendship is available to us. We just need to cultivate it. You know, so much of what makes our lives truly rich before the Lord has not been taken away. It, it's we're just not paying any attention to it sometimes because we're so sucked into the cultural stuff.
0: You speak about trust, that was a big factor in your relation with Alistair and how you were able mm-hmm. to have those conversations. And you had your opinions about things. I think I think one thing mm-hmm. is, uh, and this is kind of why I was interested in talking to you about, like, what if you, you hold strong opinion about something, but people in your congregation disagree? Mm-hmm. How do you maintain trust from those who disagree with you,
1: which I have experienced, just just to be yeah. clear, I, yeah, I, I know I know what you're describing very personally. Um, well, one one uh, metaphor that I have gotten a ridiculous amount of mileage out of over the years is those are the best ones. Those are the best <laughs> metaphors. Is is the metaphor of guardrails. So mm. there there was a there was a. a I was in a disagreement with someone once, and they made an interesting uh, comment. They said, I just want everything to be right down the center line. Hmm. And I remember when I heard that, I, it's, it, a bell went off in my mind. Like, I think, I think that, is, that is the problem, because if, if, you're, if you're on the center line, then that means if I disagree with you, I'm clearly not. Hmm. I, I'm headed towards a ditch. Mm-hmm. Most things, including major theological truths, involve guardrails. Right? We cannot we cannot deny that God is one, nor can we deny that God is three persons. We cannot deny that Jesus is God, nor that he is man. We cannot deny that the Bible is a human document, nor that it is divinely inspired. You know, and on and on and on. Make your way through kind of the even the heart of our theology. There are these guardrails within which there's a need for reflection and a certain acknowledgement that because you're not standing precisely where I'm standing on the pavement doesn't mean that you're a reprobate. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, and and what, what this enables within the guardrails is a culture of conversation. The ability to understand that we might need a little more both and, not in some everyone's right way, but more everyone probably has at least a piece of something we should consider. Right. So, I mean, the the pandemic was a kind of perfect test case in a way of this, because one of the things that uh, occurred to me is I was trying to figure out how to think about things during the pandemic and trying to have conversations with people whose views i you know, many of these folks I've known and loved for years. And and suddenly they were saying things that I at times found shocking and and quite off-putting. And as I was trying to work through that as a pastor, um, I realized that so many interests felt like they were under threat during the pandemic. You know, you had people concerned about loss of life, people concerned about loss of jobs, people concerned about loss of freedoms, people concerned about, you know, loss of communities. There was just a lot going on. And it, it it was important for me to learn how to disagree with someone while still Hearing, understanding, and acknowledging the, the concerns at, at the heart of things for them that I actually would share that concern. Even if what you do with that concern, I, I might even f- vehemently disagree with. I mm-hmm. might actually think where you're going with that concern is quite dangerous. But the concern itself, if I can acknowledge even that much, we've already, again, turned down the temperature. Right. Where I can say, you know, I, I, I really understand why you're concerned. I'd, I'd wanna go a different direction with that concern. But does that make sense? Like there's, there's just kind of a, again, you're, if, if, if the old idea of politics, as opposed to a state of war, is the art of living together well, surely hmm. we should care about trying to find a way to live with this person with a measure of at least peace. Right, right, Like, right. That's h- right. How, why is it we so quickly look at people and just see an enemy? That's the thing I've been trying to change in my own approach to people: is that instinctive. You disagree, therefore you're the enemy. That's not a political way of thinking. That's a war. That's a warlike way of thinking. There's a time for war. There's also a time when war is not. Is not. It's not actually what's going on. It's not what we need. It should not be the goal. And so that thing in us that wants to create these kind of radical oppositional postures towards one another, we, we do need to resist that as a matter of Christian virtue.
0: Are you speaking about against one another within Christians? or Well, certainly or, in the church. Yeah. yeah.
1: I, would, I would argue this has application outside the church as well. Sure.
0: Yeah. And maybe that is with the heart of the issue where there's a disagreement about whether we're at war or not, or to what stage of this war is it in?
1: I think that's right. I think that's right. I, and that's part of why I think we, we need to at least put our finger on this good versus evil m- mental model. If in fact, if in fact it is true that there is this Leviathan reaching its toxic tentacles into every corner of our lives, and it just wants to destroy everything in sight, you know, it's just a, that's just a, that's a, that calls for a certain response. And, and with a lot of Christians today, that's kind of the sense I get. That's, that's what they, that's what they think is going on, is, is really going on. And they respond accordingly. What do you think would be
0: your perspective on that? A leviathan spreading its tentacles. You think that's an overreaction? Do you think that that's accurate to some degree?
1: Well, there are... (laughs) Uh, Long pause. (laughs) Um... There are there are very, very from my perspective, from what I see, there there are some very concerning things in our world right now where the possibilities for consolidation of um political power and the ways that power can be deployed. Um I do I do there's there's a lot of concern for me um about just the dynamics of power in our world today. Mm-hmm. Although interestingly I also think that social media and the digital revolution has made it far more difficult to create an actual totalitarian regime hmm. than in the past, because you have a pretty hard time, let's say, hiding the fact that you're murdering 6 million people. Right. Try, try doing that in 2022, impossible. Right. right. So right. there's just, there are eyes on power now that didn't used to exist. So, but then, then there's just the actual like moral agenda Right, yeah. you know, there's there's a whole, obviously a whole uh, attack on reality uh, with respect to the body and sexuality and the value of human life and and, the, and 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 I think that at the level of ideas and and to the extent that we can have political influence about those things, that's a place where we need to stand and speak boldly. But I, I think the thing that worries me. As I hear Christians, even on, on, on like the worst of the worst of what's being pushed culturally, as I hear Christians talking about our response to it, I guess what I wonder is this. What are the weapons God has given to us to fight against those kinds of deceptions and evil agendas? Like what is the weaponry? Right, so let's 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 say we're at war. Does not the scripture tell us it's a spiritual war, ultimately? Hmm. So what is it? I mean, like this is just the Apostle Paul. <laughs> what does it mean that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood primarily against spiritual forces? What, what does that mean? And how do we fight that battle? And I think sometimes what I, what I see with a lot of Christians, and I've been there too, is we can really lose confidence in the power of truth. We can lose confidence in the power of grace, just embodied Christian love faithfully doing what God has called us to do, even though it doesn't look like anyone's gonna even notice or hear. I, there, was this, there was a sister that I talked to during the pandemic. She told me one day, she said, I am literally walking around my living room in circles because I cannot focus on anything. The opposition has, they have all the intellectuals. They have all the political power. They've got all the microphones. And, and what are we doing? I just find myself walking in circles in my living room. And I said to her, I said, Sister, <laughs> God has called you to live in this home with these responsibilities. That is your circle God has given to you. And the Bible, from beginning to end, is full of a bunch of little people who don't matter at all on the world scene, doing these little things God gave them to do. I mean, Abraham spent 100 years basically tending sheep and goats largely with a few little flashes of God showing up to do amazing things. Most of his life was being a a nomad. That's Abraham. Hannah. Joseph. Esther. Mary. You know, Peter. And in these little circles, God is changing the world. Do we have confidence in that? Or is the feeling that it's only if we have the weapons we see our enemies using that the kingdom of God is going to advance? Hmm. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So there are evils, but I think we need to talk about our weaponry. Are we trying to overcome evil with evil sometimes, right? You know, responding to hate with hate and violence with violence. Those are, anyway.
0: I think about it, I think that's about. just the book of James. You know, I think about it. Absolutely. You, you, you mentioned uh, the image of God and, and James saying, you know, how can you, Bless God, the God, our God and Father, and curse those who are made in the likeness of God. Right, and it's it's a very—I mean—you don't get much more direct than that, and uh, that is something that uh, it does seem to be. Um, everything goes;
1: the ends justify the means, kind of type thinking. That's it exactly. That's th- that's the stuff that when I hear it, if okay, I, we could have our disagreements about to like your question is this a war to what extent how severe is the war situation Th- those are good questions mm-hmm. but when i hear christians basically basically saying we don't need to worry about trying to the how doesn't need to be appreciably christian because the the end we're we're seeking is saving civilization you're not going to save civilization by throwing out virtue right <laughs> It's it's not that hard to replace one regime of power with another regime of power. Well, now this new regime of power, they've got the right ideas. That's not enough.
0: Right. It's interesting. I, I was reading um, The Calling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt. Mm. He's, mm. he's an atheist, but that's kind of like touted as sort of the big sledgehammer against the very progressive college campuses in America, how they're training students to think with... Uh, to think poorly. And one mm-hmm. of the the traps that, you know, he lists like kind of three lies that students are being taught today. One of them is that the world can be simply divided into forces of good and evil. Yeah. And he's speaking against a lot of the social justice movement where there are forces of pure good and pure evil. And he says that is a fallacy, right? That's an immature way of thinking. And I don't want that to happen for Christians, because we can uh, yeah. adopt that as well. Now there are spiritual darkness and all, all these types of things, but I think it's that polarity, especially among one another, that can be concerning. When we start drawing lines mm-hmm. against one another, and of course we need stern rebuke. We need to challenge one another, but uh, it's it's becoming something more than that at times. And I know that social
1: media helps us with that. I agree. Yeah, so you know it's easy to, to divide the world into the sin camp and the and the the grace camp, right? The the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness is just all that black and white. One of the things that, getting back to creation, I've thought so much about is underneath sin and grace is creation. Hmm. And God's grace is restoring what he created, and sin can never completely eradicate what he's created. And so as we go out into the world, we aren't just entering a world of pure good over here and pure evil over there. We're entering a world where all of it is created by God. There is tremendous sin. There's grace at work, at, you know, at, at, at grace at war with that sin. But man, that's true in every one of our hearts too, right? That's Solzhenitsyn's famous line. The line between good and evil runs through every human heart. It's right. not as simple as sort of like the dark forces over there and the, you know, the good guys over here. It's wheat and tares. Things are messy. Things are complicated. And so as we actually relate with people... I just don't think that straightforward good versus evil narrative is very, very helpful. We need to know that kind of in a in a cosmic sense, that's true. But on the ground, it's always this blend of created goodness, lots of sin, grace at work. And we are not called by God to bring eschatological judgment to bear right now and fix all of it, right? That is that consummation in which grace triumphs over sin is is. That's in God's hands and it is yet to come. And so, it, again, it just calms the anxiety. How can I be an, an, an ambassador of grace in this situation with these fellow humans made in his image?
0: I, I do want to get your thought on this. And I've, I've heard this phrase, punch right, coddle left. Have you ever heard that phrase? Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, now, I think when we think warlock mentality and fighting back, we we only think in terms of the right. But I think that mm-hmm. there are elements of Christians who are more left-leaning, who, again, I think that's that's the player that pushed first. Mm-hmm. But the one who gets flagged is the one who pushed back. But I think there was a first push of saying, you have a whole group of people who voted for Trump. We don't know what their reasons are, but they're an enemy. They're yeah. the other side. But I, I think I've seen even from people who would say that they're moderate, uh, an absolute disdain yeah. for people who you know, had a more conservative view of how to do masks or vaccine mm-hmm. or whatever. It just it, not just disagreement, but an mm-hmm.
1: absolute disgust with, mm-hmm. and uh, almost. I mean, some of the stuff that went on online mocking the deaths of the unvaccinated. Horrible, gloating yeah. over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, I, I actually think what you said is is so profound, and I agree with you. Um, this this kind of superficial good versus evil narrative is just across the political spectrum, right? I, I haven't mentioned in anything I've said, I hope, that I'm targeting this towards one end of the spectrum or the other. This sure, is just sure. I think Christians have to step back from the whole spectrum and ask what does God require? And whether you are, you know, the social justice warrior who really honestly believes the world is as simple as the oppressor and the oppressed, like that is your worldview. That's mm-hmm. that's your schematic. It's that simple. You're either one or the other. Or whether you're the, you know, kind of right wing. There's the regime and the remnant. They're both just incredibly superficial ways of looking at the world. And I think the 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 comfort of 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 the word of God and the fellowship of the saints is that it enables us to really step back from that kind of simple schematic and say, the earth is the Lord's. What are our callings? Let's believe in in not just God's sovereignty in general over what's going on, but that his sovereignty is being worked out in our speaking truth, enacting love, showing mercy, walking humbly before him, worshiping, fellowshipping, enjoying creation, digging into the hard questions together, many of which are incredibly complicated. And let's trust God to use that.
0: What is your process or what are some good practices you've found in gaining an understanding about complex issues? Such a good question.
1: Well, what's been a lifesaver for me, uh, this circle of friends that Alistair and I are a part of, we've been at it for 10 years, and I can benefit from their reading. I really believe in a friendship model of learning. I'd, I don't have enough lifetimes to learn everything that I need hmm. to learn. But if you've learned it, can you give me the cliff notes? And I try to have as much breadth of people I'm listening to as possible. Don't just get into an echo chamber of people that think just like you do. Like that. Intellectual silos are so dangerous, especially right now. Yeah. So I, I read widely. I have a lot of – I have a spread of things that I kind of take as my feeds <laughs> And I try to, I don't read all of it, but I try to have enough of a spectrum that I can just know kind of what's, what the breadth of literature is out there on various things. I have these friends, a very diverse group of friends. You also have to be selective. Hmm. You know, w- what, what are the most important issues for me to focus on in my context? Uh, you know, you might, be in a, in a, you might be in a place where, you know, immigration is something you really need to understand. Yeah. Uh, there might be other places where you really need to understand how to respond to the transgender ideology because yeah. that's it's it's in front of you, um, etc. Um, it's kind of that
0: stay and, in your lane type of thing where you know understanding your context and what you need to prioritize
1: precisely. Um, so yeah, I mean, f- friendship, broad reading as much as you can, um, and and, uh, and and selectivity. Um, and the other thing I think is just kind of a, a a a willingness. How can I put this? Oh, again, the guardrails thing. A willingness to understand that issues are complex because they're they're multi-variable and there there are multiple truths often at play in, in a particular issue, right? And I think the wisest people are the ones who can take a hot whether it's a hot button question or or just some more theoretical question and can break open that question and help you see that in this question, there's a bundle of a bunch of questions and a bunch of things we need to think about, a bunch of goods that we need to value. It isn't just one thing. Hmm. I mean, this is one of the things that, just to speak personally, drives me a little bit crazy about modern American politics, is the conglomerating of things into a political bundle. So you're a conservative. That means you think this about this. That's that about that. This about the right. other thing. What if I don't toe the line on all of that? On every you know thing in that bundle, <laughs> you, you know. But you're you're just kind of everything's lumped together. Um, the more we can break things apart and say, well, there's a sub issue here. And you know, to be honest, in thinking about this, you might realize that maybe kind of the party line doesn't work on this sub issue. Hmm. That's wisdom. Yeah. That's. But that also takes time. I mean, the thing is, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. So selectivity again.
0: It just kind of reminds me back to when you were speaking about social media and and how that has negatively affected our discourse. I, I just imagine if you are taking a stance on social media and you say, this is my position. You know, Mm. what happens is you get a following for taking that position, which locks you in. You let's say uh, two months later, you're like, nah, I think I was wrong about that. Well, there's a cost now and you've built a following on taking a strong stance on something. So it actually kind of fights against the ability to rethink your ideas because you've now attached the, the, the stakes are much higher for my belief in this to be sincere, I also have to affirm these things or else I don't really believe this one thing. Right. And right. Uh, that's frustrating.
1: <laughs> it is frustrating because you end up you, – you realize in, in, in taking a stand on one issue, at least in other people's minds, you've signed on to a bunch of other things that actually you didn't intend to sign on to because you maybe haven't thought about those other things. And and you know your point about – number one, I just think most Christian leaders should – this is my opinion. I yeah. think should be very careful about saying very much of anything especially about hot button issues online, just because of the lack of context for people understanding. But sure. um, But yeah, I mean, being able to rethink your position on things, um, it's really good to be able to say, number one, I don't know. I need to think about it more. I I love it when I hear someone say that, because that means you're a thinker. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And number two, um, I, I... I think we have to be so clear when we have moved from a real issue of right and wrong, good or evil, where we can speak somewhat more with more moral authority into realms of wisdom questions. Like, hmm. And when I'm preaching, I I actually will say this often in the sermon. Don't take what I'm about to say as the word of the Lord here, because this is my pastoral reflection on what is... Sure. An application of scripture. It's a wisdom question, and these are these are things on which, you know, sincere Christians could could disagree. But I'm thinking with you. I want to help you think. I'm not just going to stand here mute. But but know what I'm doing here. This is this is a this is the prudential realm, you know, the wisdom realm. I'm, I'm not I'm not going to thunder prophetically here because there are real questions, if that makes sense.
0: It's just nice to hear from the ground level, you know, you're, you're working with people, you're dealing with these on a daily level, these kinds of reflections. And, uh, you know, for a young whippersnapper like me, or to <laughs> our listeners who are young people in ministry, um, what are some practices or some resources that you think would help equip young ministers in our age and where it's sort of going? Yeah.
1: Um, I I would really encourage, um, I mean, I'm a pastor, so maybe that's the world I know. Um, I'd really encourage young Christian leaders or aspiring leaders or just thinking Christians, um, f- find. F- I'm going to use the word fasting, but I, I don't necessarily just mean by that abstaining from food. Find whatever form of fasting kind of clears your soul <laughs> clears your mind clears get, brings your appetites and your passions back down to um down to earth uh, we, we are living in an age where passion emotion call it anxiety whatever we are too wound up a quiet heart can hear well can think carefully, can respond in a measured, wise way. Almost nothing good comes out of a fevered, anxious, wound up, hyper intense, that is not a frame of soul or mind that almost is ever fruitful. I mean, I guess if if a building is literally burning down, then you wanna be running on adrenaline, but most of the time running sure. on adrenaline is not good. And this is, you know, this is Jonathan Haidt. It's his, you know, the rider on the elephant. Yeah, like, that's right, yeah. Get your rider back on your elephant. Fasting can, you, I think some kind of fasting is almost necessary for that. Hmm. Abstain from just, there's nothing wrong with just getting off social media for six weeks. The world will go on. (laughs) Um, So that'd be one. And and the other would be, get some friendships online or in person, get some friendships and build those friendships and, and just practice having great conversations together. Learn how to have, conversations. If, if you start to feel friction, learn how to work through that friction and talk together and pray together, be in touch. It, fellowship, these are lonely times. And I I keep using the word friendship, but I mean, it's, it's, it's a big deal. Uh, Lonely people that get lost in their own heads sometimes end up both going in bad directions and leading others in bad directions, and I think the more you can kind of have the water of your mind, don't let it go stagnant, where it's just you and your thoughts. Um, obviously, prayer, being in the Word, uh, participating faithfully in, in in worship, and the you know the the what we call the means of grace in my Presbyterian circles, um, those are basic disciplines. But I'd really emphasize fasting and friendship. That's a good word.
0: Uh, ben, thank you so much for being on here and, and sharing your thoughts. It was a, I think it's Thanks going to be a great help me, to a lot of people. Well, uh, that We're going to appreciate it. Uh, we're going to put the uh, the in the show notes a link to the whole series of conversations that uh, Reverend Ben did with Alistair Roberts. And uh, Ben, thank you. Hopefully, hopefully we can have you on again. And appreciate I your it. thoughts. All right. God bless.